This podcast provides audio versions of live webinars. Please see the episode description for a link to the full presentation. Hello, this is Martin Wilson welcoming you to this bite-sized bio-web seminar. Today's presentation is titled Optimizing Chip for Reproducibility and is being presented by Dr. Hamid Koja. Dr. Hamid Koja brings years of experience in assay, protocol and kit development in the field of molecular biology. Recently, Dr. Koja has helped advance chromatin shearing for chip applications by utilizing Covaris's patented adaptive focused acoustics technology to develop a robust protocol and the TrueChip chromatin shearing reagent kits. Previously, as a research scientist, Dr. Koja developed several kits and high-throughput assays for internal research initiatives, including branched DNA assays for oncogene quantification, mass spectrometer-based assays for CFTR, and other disease mutation analysis, and kits for chip-chip assays. During the presentation, please type any questions you have in the questions box on the right-hand side of your screen, and we will put them to Dr. Koja at the end. So now, over to Dr. Koja for his presentation. Hello, everyone. Thank you very much for attending uh, today's uh, webinar uh, on optimizing chip sample preparation for reproducibility. Um, today, we're going to be talking about uh, uh, just an overview of chip, uh, the chromatin shearing technologies that are currently available. Uh, we'll talk about reproducible shearing and its importance, uh, the use of AFA adaptive focused acoustics uh, for chromatin shearing, and the critical uh, sample preparation uh, optimization steps necessary to achieve that. And we'll show quite a bit of data uh, for the optimization and uh, for the reagent and protocols. Just taking a look at uh, the brief history of CHIP, uh, the first instance of uh, CHIP uh, being carried out uh, using uh, UV cross-linked cells occurred in 1985 in which uh, they studied uh, a polymerase 2 distribution on fruit fly uh, uh, heat shock uh, genes. Uh, the first instance of formaldehyde cross-linking uh, being used uh, for CHIP to study histones occurred in 1988. Uh, that was 25 years ago and the sample preparation uh, methodologies really have not changed much uh, in those years. Taking a look at the chip workflow, uh, you, you notice that the, the, the workflow is quite uh, complicated, uh, time-consuming, uh, and multivariable. Uh, with, with all these variables in mind, uh, you can, uh, we can see that the critical analysis step, uh, the first critical analysis step uh, is the chromatin shearing. Uh, if you get cr good chromatin shearing, you proceed to IP. Bad chromatin shearing, the samples are discarded, variables are changed, and the experiment repeated. Uh, historically, shearing has been achieved using high-energy probe sonicators, high-energy bath sonicators, and enzymatic digestion methodologies. Bath sonicators have the advantage of being able to uh, process multiple samples uh, so multi-sample capacity, uh, they're non-contact processing. 
However, the disadvantages uh, outweigh the advantages by quite a bit. They lack acoustic energy control, so they lead to imprecise shearing. They also lack thermal control, which leads to inaccurate shearing and apatite loss. Uh, they're also quite variable, not only from sample to sample in terms of processing, but also user to user, lab to lab, and even instrument to instrument. This makes the uh, optimization quite cumbersome uh, process since um, uh, almost every sample has to be optimized. Uh, it also generates a very wide distribution of fragments, and it is quite low throughput uh, in terms of capacity. Probe sonicators are the next type of uh, technology used for DNA shearing. The advantage is that it is high energy, so you can rapidly shear. Uh, the disadvantages, again, outweigh the advantages by quite a bit. Uh, they, it, again, it lacks uh, acoustic energy control, so it leads to imprecise shearing. It, it lacks complete thermal control, so you can uh, uh, get quite a bit of epitope loss and accuracy in, uh, in check. Uh, it is also quite variable from sample to sample and user to user uh, and even instrument to instrument. Uh, it has a very cumbersome uh, optimization process. The recovery is quite low because of its high energy and its destruction of uh, uh, the sample. Uh, it, since it is in contact with, with your sample, there is a great chance of carryover and crossover contamination. Uh, it does generate a wide distribution of fragments and it is quite low throughput because of its single sample processing. The next methodology is enzymatic. Uh, Microcouple nucleus or MNase uh, is used uh, to digest chromatin. It's an XO and endo 5 prime phosphodiesterase. It's specific for single-stranded DNA, but it can also work with double-stranded DNA chromatin, single-stranded DNA, and even RNA. Uh, the advantages are that it's a very gentle process uh, it's temperature controlled, so thermal events are not uh, an issue. Uh, it's, uh, it, it is applicable to native chip. The disadvantages are that it is biased. Uh, literature publications have shown that it does digest AT-rich regions preferentially. It is, being that it's an enzymatic method, it is very difficult to control. It is very easily influenced by concentration, by sample and enzyme concentration volume of the of the reaction as well as temperature of the reaction. Uh, this makes it a very variable and tedious to optimize. It also generates a very wide distribution of fragments. The continued utility of these technologies for chromatin shearing, uh, it's not very good. These technologies are antiquated and have reached their potential for use uh, for chromatin shearing uh, and analysis with advanced technologies. Uh, these technologies were not developed uh, with uh, reproducible chromatin shearing in mind. These are merely adaptation of older technologies which have been around for decades and uh, with some even uh, a century or so. Uh, they lack accuracy and precision. They lack control over the entire process, and they have a limited automation and throughput capability. So what is reproducible chromatin shearing? We can, uh, we can define that in three different ways. One is precision, being able to uh, control the energy that is being delivered to the sample. Accuracy uh, is the second uh, aspect of the definition. Having thermal control and maintaining apotope integrity to achieve accurate uh, chromatin shearing. 
and having a controlled process such, uh, which includes uh, an optimized instrument, optimized protocols, and optimized reagent systems. All that leads to a re to reproducible uh, chromatin sharing. The importance of chromatin sharing uh, allows for uh, generation of unbiased representation of the entire G original chromatin. Uh, it allows for conservation of uh, chip epitopes, and it requires uh, that treat, uh, treated and untreated samples be processed identically and generate fragment sizes uh, that are usable in the library preparation for all NGS platforms. An ideal chromatin sharing system would have a highly reproducible process that is uh, reproducible from sample to sample, user to user, and day to day, and instrument to instrument. Uh, it, it will allow for random sharing of the chromatin. It should have tight thermal control allowing for isothermal processing of the samples. Uh, generate tight distribution of chromatin fragments and allow for higher recovery of DNA after IP. Uh, it should not have any crossover or carryover contamination risks. Uh, it should also be highly uh, high throughput cap capable and the protocols should be easy and universal so you do not have to change protocols when you're changing uh, the epitopes from uh, uh, transcription factors to histones or from one cell line to the other cell line. The hardware reagents and protocols have to be designed and engineered uh, with the aspect of reproducible chromatin sharing in mind. So the emerging trend in CHIP is that sophisticated and sensitive analysis methodologies that are coming up uh, and being utilized today, they demand a new and robust approach to sample preparation. Uh, adaptive focused acoustics, it is, it's the next generation sharing tool. Uh, the technology is based on very high developed technologies such as uh, therapeutic ultrasound, lithotripsy, and diagnostic ultrasound. All these processes are computer controlled processes and Covars AFA is a combination of these technologies designed and optimized for biomolecule processing. The technology is a controlled cavitation driven process. Cavitation is an event when you have when you have acoustic waves traveling through a liquid medium, the pressure waves cause the dissolved gases to come out of solution as small air bubbles. When these air bubbles glow and then implode, fluids rush back in to fill that void and that uh, the, the streaming uh, generates uh, shearing forces. Uh, and that can be utilized and focused to achieve uh, biomolecule processing. If we look at uh, the, uh, the, the differences between uh, traditional sonicators and covariance technology, the, there's several major differences. The first one being the frequency. Uh, traditional sonicators operate uh, between 10 to 15 kilo, uh, 10 to 25 kilohertz region, which is within audible range. So here, protection is required while pro using those instruments. Uh, covariance technology operates at 0.5 to 1 megahertz. Uh, uh, frequency. In terms of the wavelength, uh, sonicators typically generate wavelengths that are 10 to 15 centimeters long, way in excess of the size of the sample tubes that are used uh, for chromatin shearing and other applications. Whereas uh, covariance technology generates wavelengths that are about a millimeter in diameter. 
the patented Covaris uh, te technology utilizes a spherically designed transducer that generates very small wavelength, one millimeter wavelengths, which are focused uh, into a very small focal point about the size of a grain of rice and about a diameter of about one millimeter. Uh, this uh, acoustic focal point is generated in a non-contact way and the energy is controlled uh, uh, due to the focus. And it, it maintains uh, consistent sample pressure, uh, temperature during processing. So it's an isothermal processing method. Looking at the pressure profiles of the three different technologies available for shearing uh, and the amount of energy required to initiate cavitation, as you can see, probesonicator generates about 4.6, requires about 4.6 watts of energy to initiate cavitation. It, it is a focused waveguide, so it, uh, it seems like a very good uh, uh, instrument at this point. Uh, uh, bass sonicators have a very wide uh, non unfocused transducer that initiates cavitation throughout the water bath. Uh, in comparison, if we look at the left-hand uh, left panel uh, with the Covars technology utilizing a uh, spherically designed transducer, you can see the generation of the focal point, which is about the size of a grain of rice and uh, diameter of about a millimeter. And it only requires about 0.8 watts of energy. But the more telling story is it's the, the, the temperature profile. If we look at all three different technologies, so in this experiment what we did was we used settings required for all three different technologies to shear naked DNA to, 300, to 200 base pairs. With the Covars technology, that takes about 180 seconds. And the temperatures were measured within, uh, in several regions within, uh, within the tube, uh, as well as uh, sample tube, as well as outside the sample vessel. As you can see with the Covars technology, this, uh, the, sample the sample temperature remains the same as the, uh, as the, as the, water, uh, as the, uh, the surrounding water medium. Whereas with the bass sonicator, you have a wide uh, array of temperature regions within, not only within your sample, but also within the water bath and within the sample tube. With a probe sonicator, uh, the probe is actually a, basically a hot metal rod that is being inserted into a limited volume sample. So they lack complete thermal control. The covars uh, consumables are also engineered for isothermal processing. The sample tubes are uh, designed to match the acoustic geometry of the transducer. So uh, in, in this experiment, uh, DNA was sheared uh, using uh, NR sample microtubes as well as a PCR tube. As you can see uh, on the left-hand panel, uh, after processing, the sample uh, process in the microtube did not has the same temperature as the water bath. No heat was generated during the process, whereas uh, on the right-hand panel in the PCR tube, you notice the sample is approaching about 50 centigrade uh, after processing. The reason for that is that uh, plastics absorb acoustic waves uh, and then transmit the energy as heat to your sample. And then they behave as an insulator and prevent the dissipation of heat from your sample. So you can easily uh, damage your samples, uh, cause thermal damage to your samples by processing it in a tube that's not specified or acoustic friendly. 
if, so why is this thermal control important? If we look at a trace of energy versus fragment size, you notice that the smaller the fragment size, the greater the amount of energy that needs to be put in to generate that smaller uh, fragment size. And, and, and therefore, the greater the need to control the amount of energy in order to avoid uh, apatope damage. Um, covariance control, uh, adaptive focused acoustics, or FA, controls thermal events through advanced uh, electronics and engineered consumable design. So outdated, uh, outdated chromatin sharing methods, uh, most of the protocols uh, published today uh, were developed uh, uh, and optimized for use with bath and probe sonicators. And these uh, protocols required uh, high cell numbers to compensate for the low chromatin yield. It, uh, they also require a longer fix, uh, formaldehyde fixation to compensate for the destructive nature of these high energy methodologies. They also expose the samples to uncontrolled temperature fluctuations which is as a consequence of the high, uh, highly uncontrolled process. Uh, so as a result, most of these protocols are limited mostly to high, uh, high abundant uh, DNA binding proteins. We hope you're enjoying this episode of Listen In from Bite Size Bio. To access the visuals of this webinar, please see the episode description for a link to the full presentation. With AFA, we've taken a completely different approach to chromatin sharing. It, it is a lower cell number requirement, which reduces the cost and time for cell culturing. It controls the sharing size range, so you can utilize your, uh, your shared chromatin uh, for preparing libraries for all NGS platforms. It's an isosomer method of processing, so you maintain a high degree of apitope integrity during processing. The technology also allows for a very low detergent uh, requirement, so there, therefore your shared chromatin can be used for all IP protocols, homebrew and kit, and kit methods, without ha having to dilute your samples uh, greatly. Um, the, the technology also requires a lower fixation time requirement, so you have more chromatin available for IP. And we'll go through and show data for all of these aspects. And the protocol uh, that, that we have is, is universal. That is, it's guaranteed to work with all mammalian cells. And this, all this combined, enables a very highly reproducible chromatin sharing. So optimizing the critical first steps of CHIP does imp improve reproducibility while maintaining the epitope integrity. If we look at the CHIP workflow, there are several steps involved. The critical steps are the sample preparation, IP, purification, and analysis uh, uh, steps. In the sample preparation steps, you have to take into consideration cell density, fixation time, lysis, uh, nuclei preparation method, uh, and the chromatin sharing method. Uh, for the IP steps, you have to consider your IP choice as well as the buffer composition uh, that will match your, uh, your epitope of interest. For the purification method, uh, reverse cross-linking methods have to be optimized, whether you want to use RNAs and PERNAS-K, uh, how to purify your, uh, your DNA, whether it should be column or magnetic uh, bead uh, purification and which is the most accurate method of uh, quantification, whether absorbance or using fluorescence. And for analysis, it really depends on whether you're doing qPCR or ChIP-seq, and they have their own data analysis methodologies. At Covaris, we've concentrated our, uh, our um, optimizations to the critical first steps, which is uh, 
for fixation, cell lysis, and chromatin shearing. And we'll go through that uh, uh, in just a bit. So the first important step is fixation optimization. There are quite a few different versions of formaldehyde available for, uh, for chromatin fixation, and people uh, are using. One is powdered paraformaldehyde. Uh, it's cumbersome to make, it's difficult, uh, it's time-consuming, it's hazardous. Uh, the second method that's used, uh, which is uh, uh, used, is methanol-stabilized formaldehyde. It's available in 37% uh, concentration. And the next version is the methanol-free formaldehyde. We found that this provides the most precise and accurate uh, results, leading to very high reproducible chromatin sharing. And we'll show you some data on that uh, choice as well. Um, fixation time is another important aspect, uh, and, and it's highly dependent on the cell line that you're working with or the tissue type that you're working with, as well as the epitope uh, of interest. Um, so those have to be optimized as well. Formaldehyde concentration, 1% uh, has been the standard for quite a long time, and there's no reason to change that, and that's in use today. Looking at a trace of a a sample fixed uh, at different uh, at different times <clears throat> at, at different fixation times ranging from zero to twenty minutes and then sheared to a specific time point you can see that it's very easy to overfix chromatin as you can see you're starting to generate a peak around uh, between one to five kb that starts appearing at around uh, a ten minute fixation and the concentration of these fragments increase dramatically over fixation time. Now, th these overfixed uh, chromatin are resistant to shearing but remain a very good epitope. So when you IP, you actually uh, preferentially IP these large fragments over the, fra uh, the smaller fragments. Therefore, you're already biasing your IP results, uh, your library prep, because you are not going to include those uh, larger fragments in your library prep. Uh, the same is true also for cells. So here uh, in this experiment, we carried out a fixation time course of 2 to 30 minutes in a cell line, but also did a fixation uh, a shearing time course for each of those fixation time points. And as, as you can see, uh, there is an area of uh, overfixed material that begins to appear at about 10 minutes, and, it, uh, and, and, and by 30 minutes, it constitutes a great majority of the fragments that are generated for chromatin sharing. So you do have to optimize your fixation time course for uh, for cell lines uh, for every cell line that you are working with, using a standard fixation time uh, for all cell lines will just not work. So uh, here's a graphical representation of the shearing uh, time courses uh, for the fixation uh, time course that we carried out. As you as you see as you can as you notice uh, the the fragment side range of 150 to 700 base pairs, which is typically desired for chip seek uh, as well as chip qPCR analysis, uh, the greatest amount of those fragments are generated at about five minute fixation time point with 76%. And as you can see, it starts to drop quite a bit after five minute fixation. But at the same time, the over uh, sheared, over fixed chromatin material that uh, typically ranges from 700 to 7,000 base pairs, it increases dramatically over that uh, fixation time uh, increase. 
We also uh, did an, a mock IP of those samples, and if you take a look, and, and this has been shown also in the literature, and we were able to reproduce that. As you increase the fixation time, you also in, uh, dramatically increase the nonspecific binding of your epitope to the antibodies. As you can see from 10 minutes to 30 minute fixation, you have a 12-fold increase in the amount of background IP. The implications for these are that you get quite a bit of false positive IP signals when you overfix your chromatin. And it also masks the weak epitope integration, uh, interactions due to the increase in the background signal level. So uh, also, if you check uh, for uh, IP and chip carried out using histo a histone antibody as well as a transcription antibody uh, with regards to fixation time, you'll notice that that five-minute fixation time is the optimal for not only for the transcription factor but also for the uh, histone antibody. After five minutes, the transcription factor signal drops dramatically, and by 30 minutes, both have dropped quite a bit. So shearing, uh, it's important to use shearing as well as IP to validate your fixation time for cell life. Methanol, uh, as I mentioned uh, earlier, has a great effect on fixation efficiency. In this experiment, we carried out a, a, a shearing time course carried on samples that were fixed for five minutes at room temperature with either methanol-containing formaldehyde or methanol-free formaldehyde. As you can see, the, the results are quite dramatic. The methanol-containing formaldehyde seems to have the gr a great majority of the fragments within the oversheared uh, region of 1 to 5 kV whereas the methanol-free formaldehyde uh, generates a very nice gradual reduction in size of the fragments and distribution of the fragments over time. The step two of the optimization for, uh, for, for sample prep for chromatin shearing is the lysis shearing methodologies. There's three different methodologies in use, and we've tested all three. One, uh, the, the, uh, the oldest methodology is the one-step lysis shearing method. This requires a very high detergent concentration to be able to lyse not only the cell membrane but also the nuclear membrane. It, it works only on certain cell lines, but it requires very high detergent concentration as well as the very high amount of energy to shear and deal with the debris that's generated. Uh, the second methodology that's been used is osmotic lysis. This works with uh, a small number of cell lines. It works really well with so, uh, large cells such as HeLa cells and HAPG2 cells, but it's very difficult and will not work with cells such as JERCOT 293 and most primary cells that we've tested. The, the third and most desired method uh, is to do a nuclei prep using a mild multi-detergent lysis uh, method. It is the most efficient method of nuclei preparation. You're using mild detergents to uh, preferentially lyse the cell membrane but leave the nuclear membrane uh, virtually intact. So this allows uh, this protocol to be used uh, universally with all mammalian cell types. And because you are uh, isolating the nuclei, now you can go ahead and use a lower concentration of detergents in your shearing buffer and this allows for your sheared chromatin to be used with any uh, homebrew method or any kit that you that uh, commercially available kit. Looking at some data, so here in this experiment uh, carried out at the Melnick lab using our system, uh, is comparing their methodology to ours. Looking at the right-hand panel, the, the samples were prepared 
using uh, their protocol, including their shearing buffer and their formaldehyde uh, type that they were using, which was methanol-free formaldehyde, and processed on the Covaris instrument. As you can see, you're seeing uh, several different populations of fragments generated uh, with, uh, with overshear chromatin uh, being of a great uh, extent. Uh, on the right-hand panel, you can see the 40-minute uh, uh, processing using a, a probe sonicator that was carried out on the same uh, sample. But uh, looking at the middle in the right-hand panel, uh, middle in the left-hand panel, you can see the, uh, the same samples processed using the Covars protocol and the methanol-free formaldehyde and our shearing buffer. Even at five minutes and ten minutes, you see a very nice gradual reduction on time. So, so the 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 protocol, uh, our protocol works very well, uh, and the methanol-free formaldehyde uh, works uh, much better than methanol-containing formaldehyde. The step three of the sample preparation is the shearing optimization. Uh, you can analyze shearing efficiency in several ways. I mean, there are quite a few signs for good and bad shearing. Uh, how you can assess your shearing as good and bad. Uh, what we've noticed is that if you if you get a rapid formation of 100 base pair to 200 base pair fragments when you're doing a shearing time course, you, most likely you are using too much energy and you are over-shearing your chromatin, uh, which means that you're just looking at naked DNA and the epitopes have most likely been ripped uh, off from your from your uh, from the chromatin. And if you check that by Western using the same antibody as you use by I, for your IP, you'll note uh, that uh, a band you will not notice a band for the protein of interest. Also, if you're doing the, if you if you go directly to IP, you will notice little or no DNA yield after IP. Indicators of, of, of a proper chromatin sharing and reproducible chromatin sharing is a gradual reduction in fragment size and distribution over time. That's what you want to always look for when you're uh, doing a time course. Uh, and this should also, if you check it by Western, you'll see a strong signal of your, of your uh, epitope of, of, of your protein of interest showing uh, on Western. And you should also be able to get a high DNA yield from IP. Optimizing, so this experiment was carried out at the NIH at Tamar uh, Kleinberger's lab. So uh, the initial experiment looking at the left-hand uh, panel uh, is uh, using their bath sonicator to uh, shear chromatin. And this is typically what they used to get. It's uh, as a, a two different population of fragments, two different population of fragments, overfixed material at, at the bottom. So they wanted to process using their protocol uh, but use the Covaris technology. As you can see in, the, in this panel, it does not work. So when, uh, when they used our protocol and our reagents, you can see that within eight minutes they were getting very good uh, fragment size and distribution. Checking the results on a Western, uh, they were looking for 193 kilodalton protein. As you can see, the protein fa remains fairly intact at eight minutes. If you overshear even with our technology, of course you can disrupt the epitopes, but it's not necessary to go to time points processing of up to 30 minutes when eight minutes will just suffice. Optimizing cell preparation and sharing protocols that work with all mammalian cells is what we have developed at Covars. 
So looking at many different solids. So here is a uh, experiment in which uh, uh, Eleanor Mercer and Novartis used sorted CD34 cells. And as you can see by the analyzer traces, you're seeing a nice gradual reduction in size over time uh, as the samples are being sheared uh, using uh, our reagent kits and our instrument. Uh, enriched T cells at the uh, University of Iowa. Uh, they wanted to carry out a fixation time course as well uh, as, as a shearing time course. You can see the two and a half minute fixation versus five minute fixation. The, you're seeing a very nice gradual reduction in size with both fixation time points. But however, when they checked the results on a on um, uh, using a Western for their apotope of interest, which is the TCF1, they noticed that for five minute uh, crosslinking the uh, samples they were seeing a much more consistent epitope uh, integrity as they were with five minutes, with two and a half minutes. So that means five minute fixation time, it's a much better choice for them uh, for, uh, for the fixation, and then an eight minute uh, shearing was optimal for their use for IP. Mass and bionic stem cells have also been shared. So this experiment is uh, from Sanford Burnham, uh, Medical Research Institute, uh, in which uh, they also did a fixation time course as well as a shearing time course. As you can see, for them, two and a half minute uh, shearing time worked quite well. A five minute ha also worked, but it has a wider distribution of fragments. Uh, mouse embryonic fibroblasts, uh, this was done uh, by uh, Dr. Izumi at, uh, at the NIH. And uh, for, for their application, it was very important because they grow their cells in high salt. In, in order uh, for NFAT5, uh, the transcription factor, to begin accumulating in uh, the nucleus. At low osmotic, uh, osmolarity, it does not accumulate in the nucleus. And as the right-hand panel shows, uh, from the Western, they, could, they were clearly able to show that uh, the lack of uh, NFAT5 uh, in cells grown in 300 millimolar milliosmolarity uh, um, uh, as compared to 500 millimolar salt. Uh, so this, they, they, they were quite impressed by this result and also maintaining of the control uh, epitope, which was the crack. Human uh, progenitor cells have also been sheared. And in this experiment, they compared the uh, millipore magnet chip protocol to Kovaris true chip protocol. Uh, and uh, you can see the differences. Uh, uh, the gel is a little bit, uh, the quality is not good. But you can uh, certainly, on the Kovaris end, you can see the nice gradual reduction in size and distribution over time. But whereas on the magnet chip side, you see the uh, the wide distribution and overfixed material remaining uh, in the sample. Blood drives, uh, blood drive cell lines have also been processed. So this one is a bead uh, lymphoma cell line. As you can see, the, it's a very nice gradual reduction in size, in, in size and distribution over time. One thing, as as I show the slide, you, you can see that the shearing time and the distribution in that time varies from cell line to cell line. So it's very important to carry out a shearing time course for your specific cell line. 
So in this experiment here, uh, primary thymocytes were processed at the University of Chicago uh, using two different shearing buffer co uh, concentrations. Uh, our covar shearing buffer contains 0.1% SDS, which means after you shear, you do not have to dilute the SDS for IP. You can use the samples fairly directly uh, for IP results, for IP uh, analysis. Uh, whereas if you're using a higher concentration of SDS, and uh, their uh, experiment, the distribution is a little bit wider, but you're still seeing a nice gradual reduction in, uh, in, in size over time. But the samples will have to be diluted in that case at least one in three folds before IP in order to avoid the SDS effects of, of IP. Another primary thymocyte, so this was, these were samples grown the same cell line uh, culture differently at the University of Iowa and again nice gradual reduction in size in epitope integrity uh, checked by Western analysis. As The difference between this uh, method and the previous slide that I show is just the culturing method is different. So therefore the shearing processing time is a little bit variable. So it's also uh, important to consider that as well while you're uh, optimizing your chromatin shearing. So the same protocols, uh, same uh, covars uh, reagent protocols were used to process multiple cell lines at the Crabtree lab. So there they processed uh, the primary thymocytes, ES cells, as well as neurospheres, and then monitored using some control uh, antibodies for Western. As you can see, all three generated very nice gradual reduction in size over time, and the Westerns indicated uh, the presence of their epitope of interest during processing. At the University of South Carolina, uh, looking at MCF7 and knockout variants to see if there's any difference in the shearing profile, uh, chromatin shearing profile over time, there is none. So the knockout variants will behave very much similar in terms of chromatin shearing uh, as uh, the original uh, cell line. So same protocols can be used for shearing chromatin as well as uh, uh, chromatin from cell lines as well as tissues. In this experiment uh, carried out at Vanderbilt University, they used HCT116 colon cancer cell line as well as mouse colon tissue as an animal model. And the samples were, uh, chromatin from the samples, both samples were sheared uh, according to our optimized protocol. As you can see, you're seeing a nice gradual reduction in size over time. They also monitored the, the, uh, their epitope uh, integrity over the shearing processing time uh, using a Western. And as you can see, you're, uh, the epitopes remain very nicely intact uh, in both the cell line as well as in tissues. So this segues us into the tissue chromatin shearing protocol and optimization for that. Uh, the specification for the chromatin shearing protocols that we have is that you can use anywhere from 120 milligrams and less of a tissue as a starting material. It is tissue type independent as long as it's mammalian tissue. Uh, it requires cryofractured uh, cryofracturization of the fixed tissues. You can process either in the small volume in microtubes or larger one mil volume in the millitubes. It uses very low energy for processing in order to maintain epitope integrity. We've also tested the SDS concentration for chromatin shearing from tissues. We find for, for tissues you require a little bit of a higher SDS concentrations due to the higher amount of connective tissue and debris that are going to be present in the nuclei prep from tissues. Uh, for cells we, we use 
0.1% SDS uh, in our shearing buffer. For tissues, we have to up that to 0.25%. But it's still much less than the 1% uh, typically used for uh, tissue chip uh, applications uh, from uh, other kits. And one thing to note is that as you increase the SDS concentration, you're actually reducing the amount of chromatin that's going to be available because it does lice and it does it will solubilize your protein of interest at high concentration. So the less SDS that you use, uh, the better off you will be. The, shearing, the chromatin shearing is very uh, application uh, and uh, protocol and the reagents are very consistent across tissue types. In this experiment, we carried out a shearing time course to a, to a specific time point using mouse brain, liver, and muscle tissue. And as you can see, the shearing distribution as well as the fragment size uh, are uh, very accurate and precise in that they are uh, tissue type independent and you're getting the same distribution and average size. Uh, brain uh, tissue does, because of its high lipid uh, content, does have a lower yield, which is something that needs to be taken into consideration if you're working with brain tissue. <coughs> Excuse me. Looking at mouse liver tissue, so here's a time time course sharing of uh, chromatin. Um, obtained from mouse liver tissue. As you can see, you're seeing a nice gradual reduction in size over time. And within about six minute processing, you have about 76% of your samples uh, material within the one, 150 to 700 base pair size range. At eight minute processing time, you have 78% and 4% of that 4% uh, material is overfixed, which is uh, quite acceptable. The same process is also very reproducible for uh, using mouse brain tissue. In this case, <clears throat> um, within six minutes, uh, six to eight minutes, you have 77, 78% of your material within the desired size range. And you can monitor, the, uh, in this uh, experiment, <clears throat> we monitor, monitored epitope integrity uh, using a Western. As you can see, histones are fairly unchanged. Uh, transcription factor beta catenin when monitored, uh, it, it does uh, get reduced over processing time, but the optimal processing time here is six minutes, which means that fairly uh, great amount of the epitope uh, is, uh, remains present during processing. <coughs> at Big Ren's lab at UCSD, uh, they pro uh, used our uh, Covars uh, tissue chromatin shearing kit and reagents to process uh, distilled limb from mouse E14.4 uh, days old. And as you can see, you're seeing a nice gradual reduction in time, uh, in size and distribution over time. The process is very highly reproducible. Uh, and in this case, uh, you're seeing a uh, <coughs> comparison uh, in reproducibility as well as uh, reproducibility between the Covaris and a bat sonicator. Uh, they process two different t independent tissue sets. Uh, with a bass sonicator on the left-hand panel. And as you can see in the time course shearing, uh, up to 60 minutes shearing, you're still seeing two to three different uh, distinct populations of sheared chromatin. Uh, this makes library preparation uh, very variable and if not impossible. Um, if you look at the same uh, tissue sets, Process, independent tissues as processed using uh, covirus reagents and system, you can see a very nice gradual reduction in size over time, but also the reproducibility between two independent uh, tissue sets uh, is fairly identical. 
So in, in, in this experiment, uh, you, you can see the, the shearing precision of uh, and reproducibility of covariance uh, technology and the reagents. Here's an overlay of five independently processed samples sheared to this, uh, chromatin samples sheared to the same size range. There basically is uh, very little variability between the five. There's also quite a bit of flexibility in, in generating the size range of interest uh, using a covariance technology. You can easily tune uh, and accurately tune uh, the, the shearing size range for, for your NGS uh, system of uh, interest, whether you're using a solid uh, ion torrent, pat bio or aluminum instrument, or Roche instruments. You can easily tune the fragments to your size range of interest. The covariance true chip chromatin sharing protocol is a universal protocol. It will work with all mammalian cell lines. We have not had a single cell line that has failed yet. It is an isothermal method of processing. It allows you for increased apitope integrity. It requires lower fixation time point, which means that you have an increased availability of chromatin for sharing. It is quite tunable method of shearing, so you can shear chromatin and use it for uh, library prep for all NGS platforms. It, is, uh, it requires very low detergent for chromatin shearing, which means that you can utilize your, your sheared chromatin with all homebrew and IP buffers. The process is highly uh, reproducible, uh, generates highly reproducible shearing uh, of chromatin. The three different two-chip covariance reagents that we have are <clears throat> the two-chip high cell kit. This uh, allows for the processing of 10 to 30 million cells in one mil of uh, in a one mil shearing buffer. It requires a one-time initialized uh, initial optimization in which you could use, depending on how much cells you can grow, you can use 10 to the eight cells or 10 to the seven cells for the optimization time course. Uh, for the true chip uh, low cell kit, it, it, you can use uh, you can shear chromatin from anywhere from one to three million cells in a 130 microliter uh, uh, covariance microtube. We have customers that have lowered the cell number down to 100,000 cells uh, using the same protocol, <laughs> and it does require again you, you have to carry out an initial time course uh, optimization to find the optimal processing time for your cells. The same is true for tissue chip uh, shearing. You can shear chromatin from anywhere 20, from, uh, 20 milligrams of tissue to 120 milligrams of tissue. You do uh, we do require a one-time initial optimization time course to determine the perfect optimiz uh, shearing uh, time course for your cell, uh, for your tissue type. Uh, we have three different systems that have been, uh, four different instruments that have been optimized for CHIP. Our M220 is an introductory system. It's a single sample processing. It has a very compact design and full print. It can process uh, uh, chromatin shearing both in microtubes as well as millitubes. It's a very standalone uh, format that comes with pre-formatted, pre-loaded, optimized protocols. The S220 is, is a point transducer instrument. It's a single sample processing. It's a small footprint. It can handle uh, varying types of uh, volumes and tube types. It's a standalone format, and it's highly integration friendly. Uh, our E220 and LE220 systems are meant for high throughput labs. Uh, 
we, they are formatted as either a point or line transducer. They can handle multiple uh, tube types uh, and uh, automated in an automated batch mode. They're very integration friendly, and they they also have predefined optimized protocols. Thank you very much for attending uh, the webinar, and uh, we'll take any questions that you have. Uh, for contacts, please, uh, for application support, you, you can contact me or the application support team here at Covars. The emails are provided. And for sales support, uh, you can contact sales information at covarsing.com. Thank you very much for attending. Excellent. Thank you very much for a fantastic presentation, um, Dr. Koja. Um, I um I have quite a few questions from the audience um which I'd like to put to you just now. Um so um first of all um I have Ulrika asks um two questions. Um she was asking is it possible to fix cells and snap freeze them without loss in the signal after IP? And the true chip kits with the SDS versus the non-ionic shearing buffers which um which when should you use which kit? Okay. Okay. So uh, for the first question, uh, it is possible to fix uh, your cells, quench it, or, and then quick freeze and store it. Uh, but we find for the optimal uh, for an optimal experiment, it is best to fix, uh, quench, lice, and carry out the sample prep all in the same day. Uh, including the shearing and IP, if that's possible. But the only step that you can use, we, we do not advise uh, storing of isolated nuclei or sheared chromatin because freeze-thaw will dramatically reduce the IP efficiency. So if you have to fix, if you have to store your samples, st uh, store them at the point after fixation and washing steps. In terms of the chromatin shearing buffers, uh, we find that the, uh, the low SDS concentration shearing buffer, which is at 0.1% SDS, it's the best buffer to use for chromatin shearing. Okay, thanks. Um, Sean was asking, um, he says, um, I, I like Kavaris technology because of the reproducibility of the chromatin shearing. Um, when I do chip qPCR, it works. However, when um, I do chip sec isn't working because the library wasn't generated. Do you know what's causing this problem? I think uh, the reason why you might not be uh, getting a good library prep is because you might be overfixing your samples or oversharing your samples. If you're overfixing your samples, as I showed, you could likely uh, be pulling down the larger fragment sizes, which will work really nice for qPCR. But of course, when you are generating a library for next-gen sequencing, you're going to exclude those large fragments, and therefore you will not get efficient library prep. So my suggestion for you is to carry out a fixation time course carried out, uh, followed by a, fix, uh, a shearing time course. And you might want to monitor your apitope integrity with uh, a Western to, to that will allow you a, of flexibility in terms of deciding which fixation uh, time, which shearing time point is best for your epitope. Okay, thanks. I've had um, three 
very similar questions from Bethany, Shara, and Venu, who've um, asked if you have tested the um, instruments with um, yeast samples or with plant tissue or plant cells. Yes, we have to, we have actually tested them with both with very good results. We're in the process of uh, we've worked with a group at the Broad Institute, and we're in the process of finalizing an application note that will contain protocol for using the Covaris technology uh, for uh, yeast chromatin sharing. Very highly reproducible chromatin sharing, and they've been used able to use it very successfully in the last uh, five six months. So they've been generously offered to write us an application note, which should be available in the next uh, two weeks. In terms of plant tissue, I do have the Covaris, we do have Covaris instruments installed in plant uh, chip labs uh, at the Indiana University as well as uh, Purdue. And uh, I'm working on getting an application note from them so that it could be, f so that others could utilize their methodology for sharing chromatin from plant cells using Covars AFA. Okay, brilliant. Um, Jennifer was asking, um, is there advantages or disadvantages to increasing the duty cycle of using the S2 sonicator but decreasing the shearing time? Yes, um, I think the motto that we like to use at Covaris is to go low and go slow. Uh, as you increase the duty factor, you're increasing the amount of time, that the, uh, the amount of acoustic energy that's being generated and sent to your sample. So you could certainly increase the duty factor and reduce the processing time, but it, it might cause more uh, uh, a rapid degradation of your sample because you do not want, chromatin is highly sensitive so you want to be shearing chromatin in a very slow and gradual method in order to maintain apitope integrity. Shearing chromatin too quickly will result in apitope loss. Okay, okay. Um, I have a question from Eleanor who says, um, what's the maximum cell number we can put in each microchip for shearing? Can we reuse these microchips for shearing the same cells? Uh, we, we've tested uh, the cell numbers for the microtubes. The volume is 130 microliters, and that's the volume specified for chromatin shearing. And the cell number, maximum cell number that can be used is 3 million. Now, granted, that's for the uh, depends on the ploidy of cells, and these are for diploid cells. For diploid cells, 3 million uh, cells are maximum number that can be used in a microtube. If your cells are polyploid, then you have to. Uh, reduce the cell number accordingly. Okay, thank you. Yes. I think we'll have to wrap it up there. So, um, so single use... Sorry. Sorry, as I was uh, answering the second part of the question, the microchips oh, are single use only. Uh, for contamination okay. reasons, you do not want to use reuse them. Uh, they're meant yeah. only for single use. Okay, excellent. Okay. Thank you, um, Dr. Koja. Um, so the end of the questions brings us to the end of the seminar. I'd just like to finish by thanking Dr. Koja for an excellent presentation and also to our sponsors, Kovaris. And last, but by no means least, a big thank you to, your, um, to our audience for taking the time to attend today. If you have enjoyed the seminar and would like to view the video recording of the session, please visit the seminars page on bitesizebio.com. It should be available within the next 24 hours. There you can also check out our upcoming webinars. So, until next time, 
Good luck in your research and goodbye from all of us at Bite Size Bio and Covaris. Finding the right mentor can make all the difference in your research journey. But what if you don't have one? Look no further than Mentors at Your Benchside, the podcast that offers curated advice from experienced researchers on lab skills, techniques, and career progression. With short, easy-to-access episodes, you can get the help you need to succeed in the lab. Visit bitesizebio.com forward slash podcasts or search for Mentors at Your Benchside in your podcast app to subscribe and get help and advice from seasoned scientists. 